Athletes call it hitting the wall or gassing out or bonking. And if you participate in an endurance activity like running or biking, or if you've seen the later rounds of a fight, you probably know and have experienced that sensation. It's the idea that you're steadily going, but the time has worn on and your body has worn out. And of course, that's not just something that we experience physically. That's also something we could experience emotionally and mentally. Maybe it's uh, a time when we have longer and longer hours at work with an increased external stressors and there's upcoming deadlines and there's more and more meetings and there's less and less answers and it's draining and it leaves you feeling empty. And when we find ourselves in those situations, those times of hitting the wall, two things are important, right? Rest and perseverance. A runner, for example. A runner in a race may slow down for a bit. They might breathe deep to catch their breath. They might replenish their bodies and different uh, foods during the race so that their bodies can make the total distance. Or a busy season at work may warrant a long weekend or a vacation so that the worker can come back to the office revitalized. But resting isn't giving up or stopping altogether. Instead, it's finding the strength to push through and to keep going despite the burning in our legs or the, or the heaviness of our eyes. And persevering isn't just doggedly going until our bodies fail or our hearts become cold and jaded. Instead, it's knowing that the goal is worth the struggle. Now, in our text for today, as odd as it sounds, Jesus talks about hitting the wall. Not physically, not emotionally, but spiritually hitting the wall. And he exhorts us to rest, to persevere, to make every effort to enter through the narrow door. So today we're going to talk about uh, Jesus as the, the narrow door and what it means to make every effort to enter through him. Before we get to that, we first have to address the question that prompts Christ's teaching here. Because in the text, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to the cross when someone, and we don't know who, and we don't know for what reason, but someone asks him, are only a few going to be saved? And all Christians ask that question at one time or another. We might ask for the sake of our neighbors who are barely connected to a church. Or maybe we ask for the sake of our children or our grandchildren who have drifted away from the faith. We ask that question, and yet here Jesus does not give us the answer. He doesn't answer the question, perhaps because it's the wrong question to ask. Because behind that question is a terrible assumption that was rampant in Jesus' day and still plagues us today. That assumption is that salvation is for the few and not the many. That Christ came for some, but not for all. It's the assumption that the kingdom of God is an exclusive country club that's reserved only for the, the morally upstanding and the spiritual elite. It's the thought that salvation is for the winners and not for the screw-ups. But in truth, the door is opened to all people. For God desires for all people to be saved. But we also learn, we learn in this text, that the door is also narrow. That salvation is not earned, 
by doing all the right things and abstaining from all the wrong things. Salvation is not about doing. It's about trusting. The narrow door is Christ. And it is faith in the life that he lived for us. In the death that he died for us. In his resurrection that gives us new life. That is what enters us through the narrow door. That's the message of the gospel that that we hold so dearly. That's the life-giving message that saves us from sin and death. And it is faith in this message that we are to continue in. Or as scripture tells us, it says, continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Continue in your faith. And that brings us full circle to Christ's teaching in the text when he says, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. It's not about doing, it's about trusting. And so what Jesus is saying here is that just to to make every effort is to make every effort to trust and to hold on to the gospel and nothing else. Now what's interesting here is uh, the the word here, make every effort, that's actually a one word in the Greek. Uh, That word is uh, agonizomai. And you can hear in that word, agonizomai, the word, English word, agonize. And it means to strive, to struggle, like in a race or in a fight. Athletes will strive to win the contest, to prevail in the end. And during the process, it's agonizing, but the end is worth it. And that's how the word is used here when Jesus says, agonize or strive to enter through the narrow door. Now, to be clear, to be very, very clear, the striving, the struggling, it doesn't come from worrying about our salvation. It's not like uh, we're trying to figure out and wonder if we really are on the guest list or not. That's not the striving we're talking about. It doesn't come from from working hard for our salvation by limiting our sins or, or doing plenty of good works. No, the idea is salvation is already yours through Jesus Christ. You are already on the guest list. The narrow door to heaven has already been opened to you. The problem, the trouble, is not in finding salvation, but rather in holding fast to it. The striving that Jesus refers to here is the task of remaining steadfast in faith, despite the things that come against us. And there are things that come against us. To go back to the the fighting analogy, in this world, we face three massive opponents that seek to wrench us away from this message of truth. So let's talk about those three. The first enemy that we face is our own sinful nature. The old Adam in us that constantly seeks our own good despite uh, instead of the needs of others. And though we strive to live as Christ commanded, there our sinful hearts are with us, always tempting us away from his will and toward our own wants. And this internal battle between sinner and saint rages on and it becomes harder and harder to ignore sin's temptations and yearnings. And it's a struggle, a striving, and it wears on us. The second opponent is the world in which we live. Or 
1 John reminds us about this world. It says the whole world is under the control of the evil one. 1 John 5.19. So we struggle to be hopeful, to be upbeat as a Christian, especially as we see example after example of our world walking away from scriptural truth. Right? The increased confusion on matters of gender and sexuality or a focus on personal fulfillment over marital faithfulness or a decrease and a shortage of pastors and, and Christian missionaries. It discourages us from the faith. It makes us doubt if we're on the right side of history. It's a struggle. And the evil of this world wears on us. And then the third opponent is Satan himself. The one who accuses us. See, we make every effort in this life to, to live in a Christian way at work and at home. But man, we're so tired. And our kids can be aggravating at times. And our boss can be so irritating. And then Satan twists our thoughts. So we start, start, start to see our, these gifts of work, these gifts of home and family as burdens instead of as gifts. And then Satan turns and accuses us of our failures and reminds us of our weaknesses and beats upon our shield of faith with lies like you have to do more for Christ to love you. Or God only wants the best and you're not it. Or trusting in him is not enough. It's a struggle. And those lies and those accusations wear on us. As we live this life, and this life is an endurance activity. We sometimes find ourselves hitting the spiritual wall. Gassing out with miles of road still ahead of us. With a long time before the bell rings and the round is over. Our spiritual legs burn and cramp. Our spiritual eyes are drained and heavy. Being a Christian is not easy. And that shouldn't surprise us. Because Jesus promised us that we would have this kind of, of trouble. He says, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. So what do you do? What do we do when we find ourselves spiritually exhausted from the fight? When the temptations seem too much? When the world sounds better than heaven? When Satan's accusations deplete us. See, all too often our response has been poor. Sometimes we give in to our sinful nature. We compromise our faith and we start living at odds with the way that God has commanded us to live. Other times we succumb to the world's standards and we water down the gospel so as to not offend anyone. Or perhaps we take Satan's lies to heart and we start thinking that God's love depends on our actions instead of on his. And we start to focus on our problems instead of God's promise. See, those responses are all poor. And they will all fail. But scripture gives us a better response. He invites us into a better thing. Because it's not about doing. It's about trusting. It's about being. And so the Lord invites us to simply rest in him and to persevere in him. So first, let's talk about rest. We rest 
in the completed work of Jesus Christ. In his suffering and in his death on the cross that has overcome each and every foe. Through his blood he has paid for the sinfulness of our hearts and our sinful nature. He's forgiven us every weakness, every failure. And through his spirit which is given to us through the washing and the word. Christ has drowned that old Adam and he does so daily. And he gives us a new heart that strives to live by faith. As Jesus promised, he hasn't only overcome our sinful nature, but he's promised to overcome the world and its troubles. That the immorality and the corruption that plagues us and that plagues our world is temporary. And will ultimately be destroyed when he comes again in glory. Christ will make all things new. He'll restore us and all creation into his holiness and his perfection. Not only that, he's also defeated our, our third and last enemy, Satan the ruler of this fallen world. Every accusation falls on deaf ears because God has removed our transgressions from us as far as the east is from the west. And though in and of ourselves we don't deserve any of that, it's God in his grace who has made us righteous by the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so we rest in the completed work of Jesus. Or as Jesus tells us himself, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Take my yoke, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Rest in the Lord. Now, how do we go about doing that? How do we go about resting in Christ? Being here is a good start. Enjoying the refuge and the sanctuary that is here. Amongst God's people. Surrounded by his word. Receiving his gifts. We come to him in prayer. Lifting up our souls to the God who is in control of all things. Or as Luther put it in his morning and his evening prayers. Into your hands I commend myself, my body, my soul, and all things. And so we can bring him our hurts and our troubles, and our fears, and we can confess our weakness, and we can rely on his strength. Or like an athlete nourishes their body with food in the middle of the race, so we rest in Christ by being nurtured and nourished with the word of God and with his gifts, the sacraments. We hear in his word the fantastic promises, like his promise to be present, present with us in times of trouble. The promise of his mercy when we repent of our sin. The promise of his peace when life seems bleak. We rest in Christ when we come to his table. We receive his body and blood for the forgiveness of our sins and the assurance of his love. And the result of that, the result of simply being with him, is that the Spirit produces his fruit in us. And we experience more peace. And we experience more joy despite the afflictions that come our way. And through the Spirit, we don't give up. We don't lose hope. We find strength in Him to push through, to keep going, to stand firm in faith. So we rest. And we persevere. We make every effort to keep the faith. This world and this life may have seasons of great stress and great turmoil and great suffering, but we press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of us. 
No, the world stands against us. We do not compromise God's commands. And we do not water down the gospel. And we do not go on sinning so that grace may increase. Instead, we persevere. We persevere in the faith, not distracted by the temptations of our sinful nature, but praying that the Spirit would keep our eyes focused on His kingdom and on things above. And we persevere through the troubles of this world, not dismayed, but strengthened by the assurance of His grace. And we rely on that grace that's found in Jesus so that we're not discouraged by the accusations of the evil one, but knowing that heaven is our home. Ultimately, our hope is not found in the abundance of our good works or in the absence of our failures. If we place our hopes on ourselves, then the door is shut. Instead, our hope is found in the narrow door that is Jesus Christ's righteousness made ours through faith. And our hope is found in the fact that we are known by the Master. That we are loved and forgiven by the Master. That he has called us to join him in the kingdom feast. Rest in him. Persevere in him. Let's pray. Lord, what a blessing it is to be able to rest in your grace. To know that we're saved through faith. When things come against us, help us to not give in, not give up, but to stay steadfast in your word. We pray this time in worship, where we receive your sacrament, where we're encouraged by our Christian community, we pray that it would strengthen us to stand firm in faith this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Continue our worship.